0: Hello everyone, I'm Al Deldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Michael Chu. Michael enjoys learning about different perspectives and challenging assumptions through questions. He has had a diverse career in finance and operations, software and technology, and regulatory economics, including time training as a locomotive engineer and a product owner. His diverse experience allows him to look at complex ideas through multiple lenses and pinpoint the simplest core values. He is currently unlearning and relearning how to build intuitive web applications and effective architecture solutions as a full stack developer. Michael is also volunteering with CPA Alberta to help accountants better adapt to the latest in software and technology. Now let's join Mike as he has an interesting conversation with Byron Chu. Take it away, Mike.
1: Welcome to another week at Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast by the Ring Forest, Alberta. Today, I have Byron here from um, Calypso. Byron, why don't you tell us, tell our viewer, um, listeners about you?
2: Sure, yeah. Hi, Michael. Uh, thank you for inviting me. And I'm Byron, too. I'm the project manager for the Calypso project. I've been working at one of the companies behind the Calypso project, Cybera. Uh, for about seven years now. Uh, my background is in research. So I did a PhD in computational and structural biology at the University of Calgary. And I've been doing data science at Cybera since about 2016. And I've been working on the Callisto project
1: since 2018 when we got cool. started. So, what is Calypso and how is it came about with Cybera? So,
2: Callisto is a computational thinking and data science program for grades 5 to 12 students and teachers it's a free program and it's online and it was established by two organizations the pacific institute for the mathematical sciences and cybera so the pacific institute or pims for short is a group of math researchers out of western canadian and western u.s uh, post-secondary institutions who have sort of promoted who promote uh, research excellence in mathematics and also education in mathematics, as well as Cibera. So Cibera is a company I work for, and we're a nonprofit IT accelerator company here in Alberta. And we came together on a project to actually introduce sort of free or open source infrastructure, cyber infrastructure to post-secondary and small and medium-sized enterprises. Um, and that software or that open source project is known as the Jupiter project.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So one of the things I wanted to ask about um, Ellipseo is how is it funded? Is it government funding or is this something that you guys are doing on kind of on your side? with funding from Siberia or um, PIMS?
2: Sure, yeah. Callisto is funded by the federal government uh, through Innovation, Science, and Economic Development Canada. There's a program called the CanCode program it was initially launched in 2017 and there was a mandate for that program to be renewed in 2019 and so we were able to uh, get funding from uh, the cancode program in sort of both sets of mandates uh, to kind of uh, establish the callista project and actually bring all these uh, things that we do the the training and the workshops and the resources that we develop and provide uh, to teachers and students in grades 5 to 12 across Canada uh, for free. So the CanCode program actually covers all of our costs for that. So it's a really nice opportunity to actually do things for the education sector.
1: So I'm kind of curious um, because this probably sounds like a pretty big endeavor. Um, What are some of your key stakeholders that you're involved with on the project?
2: Yeah, actually, that's a great question. So I mentioned the main stakeholders, I guess, are the, the main organizations behind this. So the Pacific Institute for the Mathematical Sciences, Sibera, but we also work really closely with researchers out of the Faculty of Education at the University of Alberta. Uh, we have an assessment team who really, you know, works hard to look at whether or not, you know, what we're doing around computational thinking and data science or data science literacy, how effective we are in actually delivering some of those outcomes that we hope for uh, within teachers and students so we have that side of it the assessment side of it and also we have the teacher side of it so the actual educators themselves um, right now we have a few education specialists working on the project including uh, david hay who's kind of an, who's a teacher normally at elk Island public schools but he's been working sort of seconded working at the callisto project for the past year helping to not only Develop some of the content, but actually deliver a lot of the the workshops and training sessions that we do uh, previously in person, but now online.
1: Oh, well, that's really awesome! I I can definitely see from a as a software developer, you not know, having understanding how the user is going to use tool is tremendous amount of help to help you design kind of software and tools that's more useful. So I'm kind of curious, from a teacher's perspective, what are some of the challenges you came across? Just can't imagine, you know, they're probably not going to be very a lot of them may not be super familiar with what computational thinking is.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, are, you know, the the program when we first started it was quite new in terms of what we were doing and what we were trying to introduce to the teachers, especially here. Um, well, we we're trying to do it across Canada, but we started here in Alberta because that's where Cyber is based. So we tried to introduce a lot of these concepts, and they have heard of them. Um, they've come across it in their learnings, but they weren't necessarily, you know, formally taught about these concepts um, in sort of their education as well. So a lot of it was kind of new to them. Uh, some of the main challenges I would say that we came across was actually not being able to uh, provide enough training to them. So for example, what we were able to do is provide you know, a number of workshops that introduce these topics and these subjects and these tools to them. But you know after one workshop or two workshops, like how confident or comfortable Really, are you with a content or a subject or a tool, right? Like you need, it takes time to actually uh, learn these things, do them, and then actually bring that to your classroom as well, or actually work, you know, be also be comfortable working with your students on this as well. So kind of like a co-learning concept there too. So, you know, spending enough time or having enough opportunity to actually work with the teachers and then help them within their classroom environments as well. Like, I think that's a huge um challenge in terms of actually getting them confident enough to actually be able to do this on their own in their own classrooms in the regular curriculum. So without any extra special, you know, um, activities on top of that or extracurricular activities, actually doing it as part of regular curriculum is really where we think this is going and um, trying to get them to a place where they're comfortable with some of this is what we're trying to help them do.
1: Yeah. So Byron, just help help our audience um, get a little better because what exactly is computational thinking?
2: Sure, computational thinking is actually uh, more or less learning to think like a computer, but not just learning for learning purposes or for learning sake, but rather for problem solving. So if you can, you know, take a problem, uh, if it's a big problem, if you're able to sort of analyze that problem and break it down into maybe smaller chunks or something, and develop a solution that problem and apply that solution, um, and then actually think about it or format it in a way that a computer could actually carry out that solution. I think that would be more or less what computational thinking is. And there's some some key terms, I guess, involved in computational thinking that people are probably familiar with, like you know abstraction, um, you know, algorithmic thinking, and so you apply these sort of concepts. And frameworks, and which allows you to, to problem solve and think maybe like a computer uh, to come up with these solutions. Um, and I think that computational thinking, sort of in combination with data science and with open data, is sort of this really powerful uh, phenomenon that is, you know, really current in our in our landscape in the news, and you hear about it all the time in education. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Where we can actually share a lot of this information that we come across in industry around data science and you know solving or coming up with solutions or products with data science. I think a lot of that can be also applied um, to teaching as well in education. so
1: maybe in your experience, I mean how is it a little how is it different from things like that you get taught in school about math, about science and about even computer science or software in university?
2: Yeah, so I think uh, for data science specifically, I think it's very cross-curricular by nature. So I, I don't think you can kind of, you know, put it into one subject or another subject. It has definitely, um, it touches many different subjects. So, you know, things like, for example, elections, for example, um, if you wanted to look at, election data or if you're looking at that in school you might look at it in social sciences um, but if you wanted to actually you know take that data and analyze it a little bit and maybe visualize it and tell a story with that data you know that might actually touch on some statistics it might touch on some if you're going to write up that description over that tell that story it might you know touch on like language arts or english language arts or something so there's many different areas and subjects that it touches upon so i think it's it's a very cross-curricular in nature, and it maybe it differs a little bit because um, data science also will apply or it will involve a little bit of coding, which isn't necessarily part of curriculum.
1: That's very interesting. So, I'm kind of curious what's it from a teacher's perspective? Who are your biggest kind of target audience? Honestly, in terms yeah, of yeah. With
2: data science, I don't we don't really have a, a target audience, at least not coming from the, the CAN code or Callisto program. Um, The Callisto program itself—we're trying to reach everyone, no matter what subject area you teach. For example, if you're a teacher or if you're a student, we just want to engage you and and get you excited about interacting with data. So, if there's a topic that you're interested in—if it's video games, if it's nature, like birds, or like you know, animals or endangered species or something—like there is some connection to data, no matter what you're interested in. In music, for example, as well, like there's always some connection that can kind of go back to data. And we think, you know, we can get people engaged in a different way and probably get them excited in a little bit of a different way about these topics using data and data science techniques.
1: I find that very interesting when you said that because in terms of the kind of cross subject areas, um, my background was actually in uh, econometrics, in the statistics and economics. But then um, now that I'm becoming a developer, I've seen so much of the data framework in terms of all disciplines. Around it, and I find so many of my kind of day-to-day tools I'm using I'm actually picking bits and pieces from different classes that I've learned over time, and not one actually taught me everything that I needed. So that really interesting um, approach you guys are looking at, and how the tools you guys are providing would be very useful um, in terms of overall just applying in a practical sense. Um, <clears throat> so I just want to take a look at around what you talked about in terms of the, the on the student perspective. Um, what do you typically expect the students to learn? What can they kind of do one of the projects or one of the sessions um, in Calypso? What can a student typically expect?
2: Yeah, we try to engage the students in a number of different ways. So, you know, at at a starting point, oftentimes it is learning some basic coding elements to get them comfortable with working uh, with a text-based programming language. So that maybe is something a little bit different. For the Callisto project as well, so we're focused on the the Python programming language. So it's an open source or open community language um, that is growing, uh, you know, day by day, and it's quite popular amongst data scientists. And so we're trying to introduce them to Python, uh, you know, text-based programming language and some of the functions or the libraries that are commonly used by data scientists. And so when we expose some students to it, you know, we have to start. You know, at at a certain place. And we we usually start with some basic coding elements like variables, um, some lists, uh, for loops, you know, things like that are common sort of coding concepts. And then from there, instead of doing more sort of coding concepts, we we expand a little bit and do more of the data science specific uh, functionality, I guess. So, you know, the, the functionality that allows you to work with data, maybe clean the data. Uh, aggregate the data, transform the data, and then visualize that data or display it in different ways. Um, So we focus on sort of introducing them to those techniques and tools that will allow them to do that and actually access the data too. Sorry, (laughs) I missed that one. That's a big one is actually how do you access um, these data sets? Because you may not be aware of it, but there's, you know, many, many, like hundreds, thousands of open data sets out there in the wild that people have access to, um, and so how do you how do you actually find them? Uh, how do you access them? What do you do with them? How do you bring them in and use them? So we try to introduce many different concepts, um, but we start off with some of those sort of core coding concepts to get them comfortable, and then we show them how you can then you know apply some of those data science specific functionality to do some of those things. Uh, so we're not really as focused on the coding i would say like we use coding um, but we want to show them what's possible by applying that coding and taking maybe an interesting data set um, bringing it into like a Jupyter notebook like i mentioned sort of an interactive computing environment um, allowing them to tinker with that data to explore and play with those visualizations and kind of see what questions they have or see what they see and let them ask questions uh, to the data
1: so overall I just wanted to see what does success for a student look like at, maybe just pick a grade you know if someone's saying like uh elementary school what would success look like for a student at that level
2: Yeah that's that's interesting um yeah it really varies what success can look like for example we are working like i mentioned with a text based programming language so it is quite it is a programming language so you know computers are quite picky with respect to syntax so it's quite easy to make uh, typos, for example, and if you try to execute, you know, some code with a typo in it, it's not going to be happy. So it's going to give you an error message. So success can even really be um, just working through an error message, um, getting that resilience and uh, like the ability to to interpret what the error message is is you know conveying to you, and then trying to fix what happened um, to make sure it actually works. So success can I think even start you know at the level of fixing or working your way through. An error message um, to the point of actually executing um, some code. So yeah, it really varies. And I think um, people get excited when they're able to work through these problems. And they may not you know, sound like much or seem like much at first, but like when you build upon those little successes, I think you get more and more comfortable with the, the language itself.
1: Uh, that is so true in terms of just being able to, to find even find a problem for like a code as a developer. I mean, that's something we struggle with every day. And Sometimes it really does set you back. So that resilience, that that's really awesome to hear. That's something that the students can uh, incorporate in the day-to-day um, practice yeah. and just understanding that, you know, you don't get it today, but you probably can get it tomorrow. So I know that you also put a lot of hackathon events on there. Can you tell us a little bit about those hackathons and what people can typically, students expect out of them?
2: Yeah, the hackathon events is something we started earlier this year or late last year, actually late 2019 uh, was our first one. Uh, i think it's just a way to to really engage a large group of students and teachers at the same time and get them excited about you know they may not know it but they're going to be getting excited about sort of python programming and data science and computational thinking um, and to provide them with like a challenge so like we provide them with these sort of open-ended challenges that are based on code and open data and use sort of this interactive computing technology known as Jupyter. Um, we allow them to work individually or work as teams on these open-ended challenges, oh, cool. let them explore data sets, and kind of see where they go with that data, uh, what questions they have, um, what do they notice about the data, you know, what are they thinking or wondering about that data, and what's going on with the data. And so it just introduces them to a lot of these data science concepts that we might take for granted um, just in our day-to-day lives, but actually are quite you know, interesting and, and fun to explore and spend some time with as well. So the hackathons have allowed us to do that at sort of a bit of a larger scale. Um, so getting a number of schools or school divisions coming together to participate in one. So our last in-person hackathon, for example, was in, I think, late or mid to late February of 2020 before really the COVID pandemic um really the restrictions came into play so we held an event and we had an like you know a large number of school divisions come out to it and it was in rural uh alberta as well so north of lethbridge and it was just a nice opportunity where um kids who maybe not who typically maybe don't get exposed to this um as part of their regular curriculum had an opportunity to play around with some of these things and get excited with some of these uh, computing and coding and data science concepts and really get introduced to it, I would say. So um, yeah, it's a typical format for these challenges or these hackathons that we run is um, we'll, have, we'll start off with some pre-hackathon materials to get them comfortable. Uh, the students don't necessarily have to do those materials at first. Um, but if they do, it, it would help them during the challenge. Um, then on the day of, we'll walk them through a tutorial, uh, just getting them started with Python, Python lists, uh, Python dictionaries, uh, just working with data um, and working with important Python libraries like pandas, which allows you to uh, do a lot of the data science transformation and cleaning work that we talked about and aggregation work. Um, so getting them comfortable with some of those tools that they're going to use to apply to that data. Um, and then we we kind of leave them some time uh, to actually work on the challenges. So we kind of pre develop these challenges, and let them explore. So, in their first hackathon, for example, we had challenges on, on Pokemon, on Spotify. Uh, we had a bunch of different, oh, we had like, you know, Alice in Wonderland data sets. So, like, you know, you know, books, you can turn that into data. Like the, the words in the books can be turned into data as well. So, we had a whole exploration on what you can do with a sort of natural language processing, even though they didn't realize they were doing the natural language processing or playing with it. So, exposing them to those techniques. Um, and now we've kind of uh, changed it uh, since COVID hit to sort of these, a mixture between online and uh, self paced work on these hackathons. So it's more of a multi day thing uh, where uh, the students will come together on the first day, you know, maybe do a tutorial with us and then take away the challenges uh, and to work on themselves. So they'll have a few days to kind of work on it. And our current theme. Or the, of the last couple of hackathons, and we're having a new hackathon coming up in August as well, um, is around Mars. So, you know, the first idea would be, you know, should we colonize Mars? Um, how do we colonize Mars, and how do we maybe sustainably colonize Mars? So, we're kind of building off the space Mars theme because we think it's kind of fun, and um, yeah, it's it seems like a nice topic that the the students and teachers are interested in.
1: Wow, that sounds really interesting. I wish I had that in a, when I was in school. So I'm kinda curious. I know you mentioned <clears throat> being COVID and stuff. Has the COVID kind of homeschool situation affected any of your programs so far? Or it's pretty much similar because it sounds like a lot of the programming you guys are doing are all online.
2: Yeah, we definitely had some scheduling changes as a result of COVID. So we had some online uh, so we had some in person activities, you know, scheduled sort of throughout year but obviously we had to move a lot of those online um our program or the infrastructure we provide the jupiter hub infrastructure or callisto hub infrastructure that we provide has always been sort of accessible in the sense that if you had an internet connection and you have a modern web browser like you know chrome or safari or firefox um, then you could access that infrastructure and our resources without any problem so that didn't change too much it was more just how we delivered the workshops and the training um, so we've gone completely online uh, working with the tools that people are you know obviously becoming familiar with like zoom and and things like that and using various sort of interactive components like through quizzes and different quiz type technology and tools so we try to keep things engaging um, through online through an online format uh, one of the things we're also doing more of now as well is kind of pre-recording content and making it available through our youtube channels so that the students and the teachers can actually access that either beforehand or after a training event um, so they can kind of learn at their own pace as well because you know having um, a live session is great but oftentimes having that ability to to go back to something and look at it and kind of re-listen to it and actually you know spend a bit more time on it allows you to to learn it a bit better so um Or some of the learners just prefer having that, you know, the opportunity to learn when they're more comfortable to learn. So maybe that's, you know, in the evening, for example, or something. So, um, yeah, it just gives you, we've tried to do things in in a flexible way so that the learners can learn um, in the best way that kind of suits them.
1: You know, it sounds like you guys are ready to go online and offline. So it sounds like you guys have a pretty robust program going on there. Um I'm trying to try to marry kind of the two perspectives a bit more, maybe from a parent's perspective. Is so is Calypso's program, is it additional kind of learning that students are taking on, or is it something that is incorporated in the current school programs, at least in Alberta? Sure.
2: Yeah. So for uh, yeah, how Callisto, I guess, is used in the classroom. So right now we have a combination of things that we're doing. So we make resources that are aligned with curriculum and across you know different subject areas and that can be found on our website callisto.ca teachers and students if they want to they can use that in their classrooms Um, teachers themselves um, may consider this more of an extracurricular activity Um, parents might consider this more of an extracurricular activity so they can if they they want they can choose to do that sort of or make that available as an extracurricular activity Um, but some teachers um, that we know have taken this into their classroom and tried to use it with their classrooms as well Um, so it really it really depends on um, you know what you what the teacher wants to do with their with their classrooms Um, we encourage as many teachers as possible to try it out in their classrooms and to really get comfortable with it um, because we think there is a lot of You know importance um, with respect to computational thinking and data science even though it's not you know in the curriculum currently so it's it's definitely um something where it's coming i'd say in a lot of places um so you can see in ontario recently they they've adapted their curriculum to include coding for example um starting in the fall it seems like so you know in a lot of places it's changing and it's being added to curriculum so we encourage different teachers and students to try it out, and parents to try it out too. So it doesn't necessarily have to be you know, in the classroom. It could also be at home as well. All of our resources are available. I guess another aspect to it as well is that in terms of ext- extracurricular activities, we work with other STEM groups as well. So one group is called the STEM Fellowship. And each year annually, since about 2015, they've held a big data high school challenge. And so that's a pretty exciting opportunity to apply these skills, these data science skills, these coding skills, these computational thinking skills, um, and using open data to try to, you know, address a challenge. Um, it may not be, you know, part of your school; it's an extracurricular activity. But it's an exciting way to actually then um, apply some of the things that we're trying to teach as well, and apply that to a challenge um, that's quite fun uh, for everyone involved.
1: That's. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, uh, you know, this is something that gives the teachers and students options to go above and beyond, but also flexible enough for use in the classrooms. So I'm kind of curious, because you mentioned Ontario as well, is the program that you guys are doing in Calypso, is this something kind of unique? Or is this something other people are doing similar work outside?
2: Yeah, I'd say uh, when we started the program in about 2017, 2018, it's definitely unique. Uh, there weren't too many programs uh, doing anything similar, I would say that I know of at least in Canada, or that I knew of in Canada. So I know big, as I mentioned, that STEM fellowship had a big data high school challenge. So they were they were you know you know on the big data sort of um, side of things. And so uh, the way we were approaching it through computational thinking and data science, I think we were quite unique. And since then, um, what we've seen is actually like increased engagement with teachers, uh, increased interest. Uh, in the program from teachers uh, parents and students and we think that's as 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 a reflection really of sort of the the overall awareness around data and data science uh, in our in our societies really so you know we live in a really data centric world everything we do online or even you know everything we do if we have a phone with us if we have an you know a smartwatch with us or something like everything we do there's it's connected to data in some way form. and i think there's an increased awareness around that uh, especially in the media and so it's becoming more and more um, prevalent and more clear to people that you know they should be maybe spending some time getting comfortable with some of these data skills and acquiring some of these data skills when we first got started uh, we connected with uh, a group out of cern who was trying to run a pilot program uh, for high school students in Europe um, to use some of the same tools, the Jupyter tools, um, and uh, open data and data science uh, in their classrooms. Um, we've heard more recently about uh, people using data science in the classrooms in the United States. So just a couple of weeks ago, uh, University, UC Berkeley down in the US, they held a national data science education conference that was online. So I was able to connect with a few people uh, you know, few teachers and few educators in the U.S. that are trying to do data science programs or introducing data science into their curriculum. Um, but it's still very new. Like there is no, you know, data science curriculum that people are adopting, but they are being developed. I would say so. There's a lot of data science curriculum uh, development efforts that are undergoing or, or that are being undertaken in the U.S. And I think it's just a matter of time before a lot of that. Uh, comes to Canada as well if it's not already being done or being started in Canada. Um, but we were definitely, you know, a few years ago when we first got started, it was definitely a new thing, and we had people curious. And now we have people who are more and more engaged with what we're doing.
1: Sounds like you guys did a really great experiment here, and it looks like going to be more experiment going around the world. So, what would you say in the last two three years? What some of the key? What was one key learning that you had out of this project?
2: maybe a key learning that I had from this project is really, for example, um, the teachers who, you know, who are undertaking and and taking training with us, their professional or professional learning or professional development time is very valuable. They don't, they don't get a lot of it. And for them to spend that time with us means that they're quite interested in, in these topics and want to learn more about it. Um, But to be able to actually really get comfortable with a lot of these topics, it takes quite a bit of time. So I would say the key learning is there's quite a bit of interest, um, but it does take time to actually pick this stuff up and actually introduce it comfortably into regular curriculum uh, in their classrooms.
1: So it's it sounds like it's going to be a long term journey. And then you earlier mentioned that this is actually a provincially funded program. So I'm kind of looking at maybe this is a bit of a two part question. Um, in the perfect world, what would you see Calypso's program look like, you know, three years and 10 years from now?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I guess three to five years from now, I would love to see sort of data science incorporated and in, you know across Canada and all provinces, uh, some level of data science skilled incorporation or training or skill development within regular curriculum, mm-hmm. um, starting even as young as sort of you know grade five if not younger. So getting comfortable with data, uh, what you know, what you use. Data for um, how you visualize data, how you work with data, how you transform data, how you ask questions with data. You know, I would love to see that really being done at a younger level. And I think you know some teachers and some provinces are already doing this, um, but I'd love to see more of it because I think really data science touches all subject areas. Like it's not a tool that's just niche towards you know math and stats or science. Um, I think it really is something that, you know, impacts all of us. So getting kids aware um, of data science and um, questioning data and, you know, asking questions of data, I think that's a really important skill and really important um, level of awareness that we need to increase with our kids.
1: So also the second part of the question would be, you know, given this is a provincial project, do you see the funding to continue based on the success you're seeing? Or you see this is going to be a different funding or a financing model for all of this to be scaled across Canada?
2: Yeah. So it's it's just to clarify, it is a federally funded uh, program. So CanCode's a, okay, yep. a federally funded program. So it is across Canada, but it is, you know, a, a program that um, there is no... Guaranteed Next Can Code Program. So the current round of funding ends March thirty first, twenty twenty one for this program, and there's no guarantee of a future funding call. But as you know, the data science interest and incorporation increases across you know K to twelve, I think you're going to see different organizations step up to kind of fill in these gaps. Um, you know, we would love to continue to to deliver these training activities and workshops like data sciences evolving constantly. So we'd love to, to keep on that bleeding edge a little bit and keep introducing these new you know, functionalities, um, new concepts um, to students. Um, and so there's always gonna be an opportunity, I think, uh, to really you know, evolve the data science that's being taught in schools. But um, I think a lot of groups are gonna be stepping up to help fill that gap. Um, we'd love to be part of that, and so we'll kind of see what happens at that point. Um, for us, we're you know we're the Callisto project itself was founded by the Pacific Institute for the Mathematical Sciences and Siberia. and so you know we'll do an evaluation as well, whether or not um, you know at the end of March, for example, if you know we think we've left, we've done a, a really good job, we left our mark, and you know this data science um, for and computational thinking for K to 12 is in a good space, maybe it's time to, at that point for us to step away and let, you know, other groups kind of take over and take it to the next level. Um, or, you know, at that point we might say, hey, you know, there's still an opportunity for us to to keep doing things and keep pushing um, the limits a little bit.
1: That's awesome. So I'm kind of curious as a developer, I had to talk shop a little bit. Um, I've used Jupyter Notebooks before and it's a really interesting tool. So I'm kind of curious, why did you guys choose kind of, Jupyter Notebook as kind of your backbone your, as a tool, and why Python? Is there a particular reason why you guys pick those tools? Yeah,
2: it's a pretty common question for us. So uh, the, the whole concept behind Jupyter Notebooks and when they were developed is the idea of literate programming. So being able to combine nicely formatted text like you would see in a, you know, in a Word document or a Google Doc or something like that with an interspersed set with live runnable code. And so you're able to really explain, um, or create a narrative, or, or tell a story around what you're doing um, with the code. And so that's kind of why we like the Jupyter notebook technology. It allows you to do that, and and it's an open source project, which is really great. Um, so it allows, and it's and it's there's quite a large community behind the scenes who are keeping that um, the technology current and uh, developing it and pushing it. Um, and pushing it further, so it's nice to see how uh, all those things kind of come together with the Jupyter notebooks, and th- we find them uh, pretty accessible in the sense that you know it's easy to make available to anyone with a browser and an internet connection, um, and there's ways you can extend the functionality to make it more accessible for students who maybe who have some some who need have some special uh, needs for as well. So. There's many different things we like about the Jupyter Notebook in that regards. Um, And with respect to the Python programming language, it's one of the main programming languages for data science. And actually, like the Python, having comfort or ability to program in Python is actually a skill that's quite sought after in industry as well. So we thought you know, the combination of knowing or getting exposed to the Python programming language Plus, Jupyter Notebooks, which are also used in industry, Um, and exposing that to kids who are in high school or junior high or even, you know, uh, or younger, like it's it's a pretty cool concept to know that the stuff that they're doing or going to get are going to be using is actually the same tools and technology that we use in industry today. Um, So something that's like directly applicable to kind of the, the digital skills that you'll need in the future. So we thought that was a really strong combination, uh, which is kind of why we went in this direction. As well, I think, um, out of all the text-based programming languages, Python is quite readable right off the bat. Like, it's uh, it's quite human-readable, and not, it doesn't require a ton of, um, I guess, training to get started in it right off the bat. So I think the combination of those things make it a really attractive set of tools for us, the the Jupyter Notebooks and the Python programming language.
1: Yeah, and I really I absolutely agree on um your your points about Python and the Jupyter Notebook. I've used both on my own. And yeah, I just when I first learned about it, about two or three years just to pick it up as a, as a self-taught kind of data scientist, Um, yeah, it was something that I can just use on my own. There's so much stuff you can just Google on. I, I think I really like that when you pick the... Tech stack, in essence, that you guys thought about the industry directions in that because a lot of times I find certain projects where people pick on it just something that they had they were familiar with, but not really consider what you know, kind of the future work or where the technology will take us down the road, so that the students can also benefit from it. So, I really like that you guys thought about that. So, looks like the time is almost up, but before we go, I got one kind of question for you, Byron. just for our audience, um, usually, we like you t- ask our guests, what is one superpower or your strength that you have?
2: I think my super strength is probably my ability to observe. Maybe uh, so I, I do. I do come from a research background, so I do like to to you know experiment and observe and things like that. So I really like uh, just seeing how, um, especially with related to the up program in terms of observation, just seeing how students and teachers interact with the technology and the resources we've created and seeing how we can try to improve things based on sort of what we see coming from those interactions. So just really, I really like the idea of being able to to iterate and really improve on things based on sort of observational, uh, I guess, science in a way.
1: That's cool. That's awesome. And I guess one more question for you is that um, all of it's your journey of continuous learning. Um, what's something you're learning right now or something that you're interested in your kind of your, your leisure time? Uh,
2: in my leisure time. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I guess in my leisure time, I'm, I'm always trying to pick up new sort of data science techniques and tools. So the great thing about data science right now and, um, is the community kind of behind it is very open, and a lot of people uh, will publish things um, about you know projects that they're working on um, and make that available to people over the web. So there's always new sort of techniques and tools um, for you to for you to poke around and play around. Um, I really like the idea as well uh, of citizen science um, and contributing back uh, to these like having citizens contribute back to these. Uh, larger group uh, data sets, for example, like uh, the eBird data set um, and the eBird organization, or sorry, the eBird app. Um, there, it's just there's some really cool ways to to contribute back and to interact. And so I like the idea of always kind of learning uh, these new tools, these new data science tools and techniques. So there's always something to learn, really. And it's always fun to, to play around and, and learn some of these new things.
1: That's awesome. I'm really glad you are learning even more about things in data science. And then, yeah, have to find out, learn more about that um, new resource you just talked about. So where can our listeners learn more about the programs that you guys are doing and the work you're doing?
2: Yeah, everything that we're doing on the Callisto project uh, can be found at callisto.ca, our website. So we have under the use Callisto menu, we have a whole list of resources for uh, teachers and students to access and parents to access as well if they're interested. Um, we have you know, curriculum aligned modules. We have an online course, a computational thinking course that's absolutely free to use, uh, free to sign up for. Um, we're in the process of developing our second online course, a data science course for teachers um, targeted at teachers as well. So we're really excited about that course and that should be coming out uh, this summer. And so there's a lot of materials for people to poke around and play around and tinker with and we hope they do and we hope that they they get interested in data science as much as we are um, and they can think about how they can use this in their their classrooms kind of on an everyday basis
1: That's awesome. And we'll make sure that we also have the link, the YouTube channel to your videos available in our kind of description below. So once again, Byron, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much,
2: Michael. Thanks for the opportunity
1: to talk about Callisto. Thank you for coming.
0: If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage. Inspire. Educate. Together. Music for the show was created by Tony Del Deegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.